Thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 30th of November, and we're going to be discussing a couple of recent news items. Joining me in the studio is Motley Fool Canada Premium Analyst, Taylor Muckerman. Taylor, thank you for joining me. How was your uh, Thanksgiving? It was great. Stayed local, so Mm -hmm. just had to eat. You didn't have to travel too much. No. uh, The traveling... Yeah, a lot of travel. (laughs) (laughs) I think probably about 12 hours cumulative traveling. Too much travel. The caveat being my mother-in-law is an amazing cook. Okay. So there was always, there was a week of good food um, and now I'm paying for it. And the smell of leftovers to keep yes, you on the road. Absolutely. Um, so in the news recently, for a couple of reasons, has been the Keystone Pipeline. The pipeline leaked an estimated 5,000 barrels of oil in South Dakota, forcing TransCanada, who owns the pipeline, to shut it down. The other reason Keystone has been in the news is that Nebraska voted to approve the Keystone XL going through the state, albeit with a different route. The XL pipeline, when finished, is estimated to be almost 1,200 miles, running from Alberta, Canada, to Steele, Nebraska, where we join an existing pipe. The finished article could carry about 830,000 barrels of oil each day. Keystone has been a regular feature in the media for a number of years for a few reasons. Uh, President Obama refused to permit the operation. Uh, His belief was that it wouldn't lower fuel costs uh, and it wouldn't be additive. Um, It's also continually been challenged by environmental activists campaigning against the development of the oil sands uh, and also the potential environmental impact of spills along the pipeline's route. Uh, It's also been a point of contention, obviously, for many of the landowners, um, which the pipeline would cross through. Uh, One of the first things President Trump did when he came into the office was grant permits for the project with a promise of jobs and contracts for steelmakers. So it's really grown into this big political symbol um, and kind of an indicator of where the US really sees its energy future. Mm -hmm. But XL is one part of a network of pipelines called the Keystone Pipeline System, which is owned and operated by TransCanada. The XL pipeline mirrors an an existing pipeline, uh, but it's intended to to take a more direct route, I believe. It was, yeah, but this redirection is sending it back towards the old pipeline okay. so that they can more closely monitor both of them if they move forward with the XL. I see. Um, well, this all started back in 2008. Yeah, but going on a decade. Is is this Nebraska, is, is this move really kind of a watershed moment for TransCanada or is it something that's just par for the course? Um, it seems, so it, like you just said, 2008, this has been going on. President Obama canceled it in 2015 November 2015 so two years ago this month Um, and then it was a big talking point for President Trump during his election and immediately becoming president he said let's go full bore it's going to be the greatest technology any man or woman has ever seen Um, so we've seen TransCanada push a little bit further and harder because um, they canceled their plans for an energy east pipeline in Canada which was supposed to be almost double the price or the cost of the Keystone XL leg that they're working on right now at about $16 billion. Wow. This one estimated between 8 to $10 billion um, after this newly announced redirection. So uh, because they abandoned the Energy East, I do think that they'll probably still pursue this mm-hmm. Keystone XL pipeline um, now that there's not as much competition to remove oil from the oil sands in Alberta. Uh, but it is a setback. They have, a, I think, a few more days left in their um, ability to to question the Nebraska ruling and hope for a, a 
re-ruling on that, but it seems like Nebraska is going to stick to its guns. Um, but, you know, interviews from people on the ground in Nebraska seem like the folks there are, are generally okay with it, but they're going to have to negotiate with folks that they haven't talked to yet um, for this new land. It's going to extend their original pipeline plans by about five miles, um, but it's going to be like a 63-mile redirection. So they're going to have to talk to a lot of people, and that, that could take the longest. Um, rather than just making the decision to move forward or not, they're going to have to have new contracts with Nebraskans to send this pipeline over their land because while it is going to more closely mirror the existing pipeline, um, some of these contracts with those folks that have already signed have said, we're only going to allow one pipeline on our land. Mm-hmm. And they've already got that one pipeline. So they're going to have to tear that contract up and, and renegotiate renegotiate everything. And because they've seen uh, TransCanada have all this pushback from the government, they might be a little bit a stronger bargaining power position um, and maybe charge a little bit higher rate than maybe they would have if TransCanada wasn't down to their final option for a major pipeline. They have a bunch of small and medium-term projects uh, in construction and, and finishing up right now. But this is certainly the largest one that they're mm-hmm. working on. Yeah, I think they've already spent about $3 billion. Obviously, a lot of that is on actual pipe. Yeah, um, they've already started preparations, yeah. for sure. And uh, But some of that $3 billion is actually on lobbying and land and kind of compensation, mm-hmm. land compensation. Yep. So as you said, it could be quite impactful. And they haven't committed to the project, though, as you suggested, I'm sure that they might. Um, what I should have offered is uh, exactly what TransCanada is, for those of you listening. Yeah, um, who aren't 100% sure, its ticker is TRP. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an energy infrastructure company, which is essentially a, a midstream uh, company, yep. if you look in the in kind of the oil um, supply chain. Uh, they operate over 40,000 miles of natural gas pipeline, as well as a Keystone pipeline system. It also owns or has interest in 20 power generation facilities. Are they all in Canada, Taylor? Do you know? Um, I don't believe so. Okay. Um, I believe there's... Actually, you know what? Now, there's a couple in the United States. Okay. But um, for the most part, you're looking at uh, over 15 of them in Canada. Okay. So pretty highly concentrated yes. in Canada, yeah. although a lot of their other operation is spread throughout the U.S. and Mexico. Yes, pipelines for sure spread throughout U.S. and, and uh, Canada, but the power the power generation is predominantly up north. Um, it's obviously not easy to build a pipeline, as we're seeing with this project, um, but... The good thing is that once they once it, the pipeline is complete, they tend to enjoy solid returns. Mm-hmm. Um, questions persist on this. You think that TransCanada will probably push forward, nonetheless. But what what do you think the implication would be for them if they didn't do that? Um, the implication would be with they have a lot more cash on hand mm-hmm. that they weren't planning on uh, spending, either cash on hand or debt that they wouldn't necessarily have taken on. Um, they do have very good coverage ratios for their dividend, so maybe they could boost the dividend if they didn't move forward with this. Um, or they can accelerate the construction of the, some of their projects. Like I mentioned, they have uh, you know, 20 to $30 billion in pr- small to medium-sized projects that are either already approved and under construction or are in the approval process. So there's a lot going on with this company. It looks like about $24 billion, they say, in commercially secured growth projects. Um, And those are in Canada and the United States. And one of the bigger ones is their Columbia um, expansion, which was a recent acquisition that they're going to be building that that portfolio out. And that's basically um, a a natural gas and natural gas liquids uh, system, taking gas from the Appalachian region, so Marcellus and Utica Shale, 
down to the Gulf for refining and exportation. And if anybody is interested in that topic, we just did a show yes, on it <laughs> a couple yeah, of weeks so ago. That's a, um, that's a big deal, I think, natural gas here in the mm -hmm. United States the good for thing, long term. The good thing about some of these projects is that they uh, operate on quite long leases. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, you're looking at a decade or 20 year potentially, or even longer, though generally in that 10 to 20 year range. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are pay, pay or play, pay for play. So even if these companies that are their customers don't um, fulfill the the maximum capacity on their contract, they still owe that money. Okay. Um, certainly, if the company goes bankrupt, there's some loopholes that they can weasel their way out of that. But mo in the most ca in the most cases, this is very secure, long-term, forecastable cash flow. And it's also not, although it is obviously tangentially, it's not directly related to the commodity cost either. There, there may be some deceleration. Um, yeah, but they can renegotiate some yeah. things, but um, they, they're still not going to get out of the contract completely. So while they do have some commodity exposure, it's far and away less than um, the, the actual producers of these commodities mm -hmm. are exposed to. The stock is up a little on the Keystone XL news. I think it was I think it was 2% when it was first announced. The stock's up 10% year to date. Um, what do you make of what do you make of the investment? Um, I think you know if you're looking at a pretty well diversified North American midstream company, it's certainly worth a look. As I mentioned, great dividend coverage um, compared to some of its peers, and it, it's very large and a good mix of uh, natural gas and oil exposure, along with some natural gas liquids. So I think that you know, Enbridge is the biggest one in the business. Kinder Morgan, uh, not a close second, but close enough to be um, in this in that tier with Enbridge. And then you got TransCanada. Um, so I think, I think it's certainly one to look at if you want that stability of a midstream company and uh, some some good forecasting out to 2020, 2021 in terms of um, top line growth and EBITDA growth. And like I said, the dividend has some room to run, especially if they don't move forward with Keystone XL. That's eight to ten billion dollars of money that they might have spent on that pipeline that they could either solidify things better or or hand out to shareholders. Mm -hmm. I will say, if anybody's uh, going to Google this stock, you may come across a lot of bearish sentiment from its last quarterly earnings. Obviously, here we don't really focus on a quarterly to quarterly right. basis, but uh, last quarter was particularly rough for them. However, that was mostly because um, they were closing, they were getting they were getting rid of a lot of assets in order to pay down some debt on some of their projects. Yeah, because yeah. like, the, like I mentioned, the, um, the big acquisition that they, they just made, excuse me, uh, on the natural gas side, um, that, that was one of the reasons why they do need to pay down some of that debt. One thing I wanted to get your perspective on, Taylor, I know you're um, very bullish on renewables, um, but they recently announced a deal to sell their Ontario solar portfolio, mm. um, and they've also cut a, a number of renewable projects. Um, what do you make of this? Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, well, not a lot, but there's been a few um, energy companies, oil and gas companies that have made this move, but you've seen a few creep back into the renewable space, like BP, um, several years ago in the wake of the Gulf of Mexico disaster, sold off pretty much all of their renewable assets um, right after they decided to coin the term Beyond Petroleum for, B mm -hmm. for BP. But they've been working their way back into their renewable portfolio. So it just depends if what kind of investor you are and if you want your company to be um, laser focused on one on one you know area of the energy sector or if you want a more diversified portfolio. For TransCanada, it wasn't... Uh, having a huge impact. And if you're looking towards the future, like we talked about on our last episode together, natural gas is going to be a part of that in terms of um, power generation and also um, on the petrochemical side. So certainly 
good expo- long-term exposure there with natural gas. Um, and I think that's why they made that Columbia acquisition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you think it probably has a lot more to do with that being financially rigorous than it does with their actual direction. Yeah, and just more focused on a certain aspect of the business, mm-hmm. um, which I think at a company this size, you could kind of maybe get lost a little bit. Like maybe that renewable portfolio wasn't getting the attention that it might have deserved. And so they, maybe they sold it. I don't. I haven't looked into that deal mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, intensely, but maybe they sold it at a good price. And um, we're, we're fine with that because that was better of a rate of return than they were getting themselves because that wasn't their area of expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing that you touched on earlier uh, that income investors particularly might be interested in, they had currently have a 3.7% dividend yield, mm. which is very good. And they've also promised uh, 10% increases over the next few years. Yep. Um, not, not quite as highly uh, as Enbridge has promised, mm-hmm. but uh, Enbridge, just a bigger company with that Spectra Energy acquisition. Um, just an, um, I bring up Enbridge, A, because it's it's bigger and and B because it's a Canadian competitor to TransCanada, but um, yeah, certainly eight to ten percent dividend growth for the next few years each year is impressive. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Well, next we're going to talk about uh, OPEC's uh, impending meeting. But before we do, I want to thank Slack for supporting Industry Focus. Slack is a messaging app which brings all your team's communications together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. It's so easy to search and makes finding important messages, reports, and notifications much easier than email. Slack vastly reduces the amount of emails I send while increasing the quality of communications I have with my colleagues. Staying in regular contact is a must here at The Motley Fool, and Slack's seamless mobile app allows me to pick up where I left off when I'm on the move. We have the added complexity here of having a lot of contractors off-site and people who work from home, and Slack really helps us all stay connected. The other invaluable thing I use all the time is the drag-and-drop file sharing that works with apps like Google Drive and Salesforce. And our Slack system is really tailored to our company with apps that we use regularly. And there are now over 1,000 apps to choose from, so I'm confident that you will find the apps you use with your company too. Thank you very much to Slack for supporting the show, Slack, where work happens. Find out why on Slack.com. That's Slack.com. So as I said, I'm um, going to be talking a little bit about OPEC. So OPEC plus other oil producing, producing nations, sorry, uh, chiefly Russia, will meet in Vienna on November 30th to discuss extending the deal that has cut production by 1.8 million barrels per day beyond the current scheduled expiry date in March. Um, I should caveat all our comments here by saying that unfortunately we had to pre-record this episode a day early. So with us, it's the 29th. Um, There's obviously a chance that there will be new news from OPEC by the time the show airs, but we're just talking generally about possible outcomes and what it might mean for investors, so it should still be useful. Um, Taylor, a ton of factors at play. Oil has reached a two-year high, but seems to be getting spooked a little in anticipation of the OPEC meeting. Um, What do you make of all of this rumors and conjecture? Um, Yeah, so basically debating whether or not they want to extend the cuts that they've had in place, and it seems like the majority of OPEC members are in favor of extending the production cuts through 2018. We'll find out um, after the meeting. I think it starts at 6 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday. So we'll find out, you know, mid-afternoon what they decide. Um, but they have invited a host of other countries to the meeting as well to participate in the, the later um, day discussions and Russia being one of them, and probably the most important. So um, we, we've seen some waffling from Russia, though. So mm-hmm. without their buy-in to the extensions of the cuts, it might lose some of the clout that it would not normally have, uh, which it has had recently, because Russia did take part in the in the cuts, or at mm-hmm. least agreed to them 
um, in the last round of meetings. So, you know, it's interesting. They, they thought that they could control U.S. production by, by lowering prices originally by flooding the market. That didn't work. So then they had to cut prices or cut production because their national economies are so reliant on oil. And wouldn't you know it, the United States is about to become a net exporter <laughs> of oil and, um, and oil uh, products such as gasoline and diesel and natural gas liquids, uh, things like that. So um, didn't really work out as well as they had planned, and it continues to degrade their economies and the ability to fund their budgets. All, all of these countries are reaching deep into the coffers because um, a lot of the things that they offer to their citizens are very subsidized based on the price of oil and natural gas. Yeah, absolutely. Russia is really the wild card, as you mm-hmm. said. Um, I think their economy minister has has come out and said that Russia's economy has been hurt by the cuts, which is exactly what you've just said. Yep. Um, and they almost hinted at delaying the decision, which I think would, uh, as they say back home, set the cat amongst the pigeons a little <laughs> bit. Um, Saudi Arabia is kind of always seen as the head honcho. Mm-hmm. I th- it's, it's very likely that they will advocate to extend the contract. Um, they have a lot of political people at home, but... The bottom line is uh, an export slump, sorry, an export revenue slump is the last thing that they need. Uncertainty is the last thing that they need. Um, And with the impending IPO for Saudi Aramco, I think they'll be looking to get the highest price possible. And that's what this this agreement has achieved. It has pushed prices up to the highest level for, you know, the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you talk about Saudi Aramco IPO, they were talking about that sometime next year. And certainly, um, if it does go public, it's going to be much more in the public eye, um, not in not only in terms of its supposed control of uh, global oil production, but its actual control of global oil production, because uh, no one's going to invest in it without auditors going in there and, and examining the actual financials and, and books and um, reserve estimates. And those reserve estimates are based on the price of oil and the estimated price of mm-hmm. oil. Um, so where it's at now, the company certainly won't be worth as much as it was two, three years ago, three years ago when oil was above $100 a barrel, um, November of 2014. So it's in their best interest because they're hoping for, you know, trillions. They're hoping for this company to be worth over a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. That would be the largest IPO ever, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. They're not going to IPO the entire, co- the entire company. Yep. It'll be uh, a s- small slice of it, but that small slice is still going to be a massive, yep. a massive, massive offering um, simply because if it is worth over a trillion dollars, even five ten percent is is one of the biggest companies on the market. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a big deal for them, and um, I, they certainly, as OPEC controls about forty percent of oil production around the world, uh, they're hoping that they can regain the control over the markets that they used to have. But record production here in the United States right now at prices of sixty dollars a barrel. So yep. that's certainly not what they were expecting, and the rig count continues to click up uh, for horizontal and unconventional drilling. And uh, we're, we're showing continued cost improvements, both onshore and offshore. So technology is certainly keeping their ideas at bay. Mm-hmm. U.S. production reached a record weekly high last week, I think, at 9.65 million barrels a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, yeah, more and more uh, wells coming online. Crude inventories fell by 1.9 million barrels um, the week just before Thanksgiving. So inventories are falling, uh, and that should also also help. I've seen a lot of speculation that if OPEC does extend um, the reduction in output, it could overstimulate the market and push prices higher. Do you, how likely do you think that actually is? It's, it's tough to say, because um, if it does push prices higher, that's going to encourage other countries to drill more. Mm-hmm. So uh, that could you know put a cap on the supply-demand imbalance. 
and and drive supply much higher. So certainly what you know U.S. producers are most likely to do if prices yeah. continue to creep up, because uh, this has forced them to become more efficient and they're producing at a profit right now. So mm-hmm. if it climbs higher, the, all these wells that they've drilled but haven't fracked yet are just right for the picking. Yeah, absolutely. I and I think. Um I think it's definitely on the discipline of the individual uh, enterprises too. Mm-hmm. Um, although the status quo would probably be preferable to most um, traders at the moment, I would imagine. Yep. Uh, and one thing that they really kind of are being pushed to come up with is some kind of exit strategy to easily transition out of this when we reach a point of equilibrium. Uh, as you said, it's just ridiculously difficult to predict. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, who knows if we ever will find a point of equilibrium because yep. at, the, at the point where we might think that we have you know, five to five to ten years from now, we could have a, a majority of electric vehicles on the road mm-hmm. in, in some highly consu- highly uh, consumable countries for for oil and gasoline. So, yeah, time will tell. But I'm I'm skeptical of ever finding a a balance for longer than a month or so. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I um, mean, you have Ecuador coming out and basically saying they won't comply. Uh, Libya and Nigeria, who were exempt from the previous arrangement because of civil strife mm-hmm. um they're also coming back online and have no intention i believe of, of sticking to uh so even though they're a small contributor it's you have so many of these disparate uh people and organizations to control um yes i agree with you it yeah. must be like trying to herd cats it's a and it's a political weapon as much as it ever has been. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, as always, you're just ridiculously knowledgeable and insightful. So thank you. Um, you just picked the Canadian company, so I was right <laughs> in my wheelhouse. I appreciate that. Uh, well, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus@full.com or tweet us on Twitter at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Uh, Next week, join us on Thursday for a look at UPS and FedEx during the holiday season. Uh, For Taylor, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on.